Hello, everybody, and welcome to this episode of the History Harbingers podcast. Today, we'll be looking at 1500 Central America, and we'll be looking at Hernan Cortez's conquest of Mexico. Now, Jaime, set the scene for us. What's going on at the time? All right, so uh, this is a little after Columbus had discovered the Americas, and there was a certain Hernan Cortez born in this, well, I'm not sure if it was a small town back then, but now it's certainly a small town of Medellin in Extremadura in Spain. Now, he very soon after coming of age left for what at the time was Hispaniola, uh, now Santo Domingo, so in the Caribbean, right? He wanted to find all these riches that rumors were about in us and, and the Americas in general. And uh, he, in fact, participated to the conquest of Cuba. I think this is important because uh, the viceroy of uh, Cuba, um, a man by the surname of Velasquez, had a complicated relationship uh, with Cortez. And I think this is where sort of uh, we need to begin because he appointed Cortez to lead an, a, a sort of exploration mission to the Yucatan Peninsula, right? In nowadays, Mexico, uh, which was back then uh, Mayan territory. And he did way more than that, but we'll get to that in a minute. In just a few days, he managed to sort of collect 500 men and six ships, which, according to certain sources, uh, left Velasquez a little uh, jealous because he could not raise so many men, nor was he so charismatic so quickly. To uh, other sources, he was just suspicious of Cortez. But uh, Cortez was sort of taken off the appointment, uh, someone else to be appointed in his place. But Cortez departed anyway to uh, the Yucatan Peninsula, so Mayan territory, which sort of made this whole expedition to a certain extent illegal, though some bypassing of various Spanish laws was done the same way Columbus had done when he had conquered uh, Hispaniola. And I think this is where we are, right? When he uh, finally reaches the Yucatan Peninsula with 500 Spanish men, a couple of horses, a couple of cannons, if I remember correctly, two arquebusiers and crossbowmen, which are technologies that had never been seen in the area. Now, around this time when Cortez arrives in the Yucatan Peninsula, he tends to have some very interesting relationships with the Mayans, and specifically regards to his translators, which helped them throughout his conquest of Mexico. Now, his Main translator, a woman by the name of Malintzin, who was a local at the time, was his mistress and translator, and has actually quite the interesting backstory as a part of this. Born into kind of a lower-class family, eventually after her father's death, she was sold into slavery, where after that she was bought in by a higher-class family, where she learned both the Mayan and Aztec uh, languages. And after that, she began working for Cortez as his mistress as well, where she acted as a translator between uh, him and his Spaniard forces and the locals there as well. I think uh, a little more needs to be said, right? Because certainly the Malinche was not born uh, from a a very high and noble family, but she was born from a local uh, regional ruler. Uh, and the fact that her mother had sold her to slavery, despite her being of Aztec origin, um, sort of probably, we would think, led to uh, some distrust of the Aztecs in general, or even hate to that extent. Um, 
her relationship uh, with uh, history in general is very complicated. Some people think of her as a traitor against the Aztecs, and she was Aztec in origin, hence why she knew the language. Uh, but others think that, well, she had been sold by, to slavery by her mother, who was Aztec, so she would have resentment. Nevertheless, she was uh, sold to a Mayan uh, ruler, where he learned, she learned Maya. And uh, after the Cortez's forces defeated the, this same Maya, she was sort of given to him along with 19 other um, slave women. But we also need to talk uh, a little bit, just a little bit about, about a certain man named Jerónimo de Aguilar. Now, the important thing about the Malinche is that at the beginning, she only spoke Nahuatl, which was the language of the Aztecs and Maya, which was the language of Mayans. She, she spoke no Spanish. So despite the, her prominent role as translator, she could not have done this at the beginning. And it worked because of this man uh, named Jerónimo de Aguilar. Now, this man had sort of also been a slave after he was captured by the Mayans uh, for around six, seven years. But this man was actually Spanish in origin and a friar at that. So being deeply Catholic, when he found uh, more Spanish people who had landed in the region after he had gotten stranded trying to get to Cuba from Panama, he joined them. And since he had learned the Mayan language at first until the Malinche learned Spanish, there was a little bit of communication issues because anything going to the Aztecs had to be translated twice both forwards and backwards, uh, but uh, he served uh, as one of the bridges as well to communication. Now, when Cortez landed here on the Yucatan Peninsula, um, one of the major settlements which he started with, or his settlement that he started with, was a place called Veracruz. Now, it gets its namesake, Veracruz meaning True Cross, is the fact that they arrived on Maundy Thursday and landed on Good Friday, and at the time, Spain was a very religious nation, and therefore the connotations of such was given to this new landing, which they were uh, arriving upon. Now, to continue kind of their conquest, now this entire conquest was treasonous of one of the highest degrees at the point. And in order to continue this, there's a certain kind of exploit which they could go through, or an exploitation of Spanish law, which allowed them to, in order to to continue the conquest in order to regain favor with uh, the Spanish crown. Cortez was thinking, if I can just conquer the entirety of Mexico, I can get regain my favor with the crown since, you know, here's an entire colony. How could they say no? Right. And I think um, this is also very, well, it's also very important to note that this was the first place where, where he met uh, the Aztec emissary sent by Moctezuma. Uh, Moctezuma being uh, the sort of, well, not king, because that's not the name they had, but the equivalent of a king for the Aztec Empire, right? I think it was called the Huey. And um, he sort of, at the beginning, sent them uh, gold and other, um, and other gifts, right? But, of course, Cortes had no intention of being that friendly with the Aztecs, was he? Of course not. Um, we can see kind of throughout the history of this entire conquest, it is a very, very violent mess of all sorts of things going on where, I mean, we'll talk about this a little bit later, but there's been plenty of massacres, which we'll get into, and alliances and cultural differences are really some of the major causes leading to uh, the tensions and general bloodiness of this entire conflict. Right. I think uh, what we need to talk about next is the Tlaxcala, right? Because after um, 
asked the well after uh, Cortes inquired about the Aztec Empire from local uh, villages and local cities, he discovered of a certain state, a uh, very close compared to some of the other territories of the Aztecs um, uh, near their capital. And this was the state of the Tlaxcala. Now, the Tlaxcala had been in perpetual war against the Aztecs for as long as they could remember. They were very hostile to the Aztecs. And so local rulers who still did not like having to give uh, tribute and sacrifices to the Aztecs, uh, they told the Spanish that they would most likely find an ally in, in Tlaxcala. And while when they reached Tlaxcala territory, there were a couple of skirmishes at first. Um, the Tlaxcala eventually, especially the elders of the Tlaxcala, decided to ally with the Spanish and put an end to the skirmishes between the both, since they had most certainly one common enemy, the, um, the Aztecs. And I think from this point is uh, why we start to understand how Cortes managed to conquer um, such a large empire with only 500 men, because he didn't really have 500 men. He will, he had better technology and a lot of a lot of native allies. Since the Flexcala was not a small, was um, not small in population, but had quite a large amount of manpower. And I think we should talk about Cholula just quickly. What do you think? Now, I think Cholula is one of the major turning points in terms of this conquest and also sets kind of the major theme. Now, it seems kind of up to this point that uh, the Spaniards were being very friendly with the locals in terms of gaining alliances and just establishing um, intercontinental relationships. But Cholula is where things kind of get turned on their head here. Now, when they arrived in Cholula, they were immediately treated as enemies. They were not seen as friends. And that's because, well, first off here, Cholula were, uh, or Cholulans were the enemies of Tlaxcalans. So when they arrived, um, they were essentially planned to be assassinated in their sleep. The Spaniards were, at least. And because of this, um, Cortes and his army realized, well, we kind of need to not die here. That would be optimal to continue the conquest. And as such, uh, they launched a preemptive strike against the Cholulans, where they killed the leaders, set fire to the city, and I believe over 3,000 local Cholulans were killed. And this is known as the Massacre of Cholula. I think we cannot overstate both the importance of the Malinche and the importance of the of Cholula itself in this affair. Cholula had the biggest pyramid at, at the time in um, sort of Mesoamerica. And this was a major pilgrimage site, which was just straight up destroyed by the Spanish because they planned on being betrayed in accordance. In fact, when uh, Cortes trapped the elders of Cholula inside of the pyramid, the, well, the temple, the first that what he said is, according to the laws of our country, the treason is punishable by death, and then proceeded to kill him. But the Malinche also plays a huge role here in saving basically the Spanish, because nobody of the Spanish spoke Nahuatl. But according to the story, uh, the Malinche, who very much spoke Nahuatl, befriended a local elder woman. And because of that, the Malinche learned of a plot against the Spaniards therefore telling uh, Cortes of what was going to happen, allowing Cortes to launch that preemptive strike and not die in the process of just exploring the area at that point. After the Cholulan massacre, the Spanish made their way to uh, Tenochtitlan, which was the Aztec capital, famously constructed uh, on a lake. 
Uh, and at first they were welcomed as uh, the Spaniards managed to get uh, uh, to meet Moctezuma, the Kuwait at the time, on the bridge. Because according to the story, there was a certain myth around that area related to religion, which made uh, Moctezuma scared of uh, just simply attacking the Spanish. And, and so the Spanish, with their Tlaxcala and allies, mind you, were sort of given access to one of the palaces of uh, Tenochtitlan. Now, this and the tensions were rising immensely because while at first the uh, Spanish were marveled at the fact that there was a city on a lake which was perfectly organized with aqueducts uh, transporting water to this location. At the same time, they were very scared and soon became very scared because not only were the locals uh, hostile to the Tlaxcala, but to, as an extent, they were also hostile to the Spanish. And there's also the whole human sacrifice thing, which probably fair, gave a fair bit of a scare to the Spanish. They were probably not used because, well, there's a penalty of that, just sacrificing the Spanish, probably in a much more gory way, or not the Spanish, but humans in general, in a much more gory way was probably not what they would like to see. And so when Cortes left um, Tenochtitlan with uh, part of his army, leaving uh, Pedro de Alvarado behind um, to take care of whatever was happening in Tenochtitlan. To meet an army uh, under Narvaez sent by the Viceroy of Cuba to stop him because, remember, he was still doing this to a certain extent illegally. Um, Alvarado sort of became scared enough and the Spanish troops became scared enough that they, during a festival, they massacred most of uh, the Aztec nobles and the elite, which led to a lot of fighting. Uh, and eventually, because they had captured uh, Moctezuma and they took him hostage, they got Moctezuma to stand on the roof of the palace and ask his people to stop, which worked until Cortes came back. After Cortes came back, there were more skirmishes and eventually, Moctezuma standing on the roof and asking his people to stop was not enough. According to stories, uh, he died there, strangled by the Spanish. Another story states, and the most commonly accepted one, that he was killed by the stones being thrown at the Spanish uh, by his own people. Now, long story short, the Spanish were forced to retreat in what was called La Noche Triste, or the Sorrow Night, because a lot of them died in that retreat as they retreated to Tlaxcala territory to reinforce and this time come back as a hostile force. Would you like to take it from now? Now, from here is where we get onto the siege of Tenochtitlan, which is kind of the final piece in this story. Now, what's important to note is that before this situation, uh, there was a, a localized epidemic of smallpox in Tenochtitlan, which severely weakened the populace, crippling a lot of people and severely making a lot of people ill. And because of this, when the Spanish forces came back to Tenochtitlan in their siege, they absolutely razed it to the ground, absolutely destroyed it. And therefore, from this point on, they successfully conquered it. And from that point on, their it kind of marks the end of Cortez's conquest of Mexico from there. Well, not necessarily the end, but this is kind of one of the major turning points, which marks a major victory for Cortez and 
part of his kind of acceptance back into Spain. I think we need to quickly mention the importance of technology here, because at some point between uh, the um, uh, uh, sorrow night of La Noce Triste and um, the siege, Cortés had received uh, reinforcements uh, in cannons, horses, and gun and gunpowder. Now, because at first they were trying to siege the Aztecs, they sort of captured a lot of sort of the surrounding areas until all that was left in the Aztec territory was uh, the Tenochtitlan itself uh, in the lake. And on top of that, they broke the aqueduct. So they had very little fresh water in the city. But because they had now access to the shores of the lakes, on top of that, the Spanish constructed brigands, which was a much more powerful ship than the canoes that the Aztecs manned. Now, this is important because with the brigands, with much better technology, cannons, horses, the Aztecs were forced to stay inside of their city because they could not go out on open ground while the enemy had cannons and horses. So eventually, by starving them out enough, and eventually when the morale of they, the, the Spanish themselves and their allies was low enough, leading a charge and uh, sort of overrunning the whole of the island. They eventually conquered uh, the the Aztec Empire, and while it wasn't full on conquest because they still had to consolidate much of their land, it was still a, a lot of territory that was suddenly under Spanish uh, rule. And yeah, technology is a very important factor here, and I think it's one of the biggest factors that allowed Europeans to do what they did for like most of the centuries, and it's that. They had better technology than uh, their enemies. What I think is also important to discuss as a major factor, especially in terms of the behavior of the Spanish colonists, is the importance of language here. Now, what I think made the Spanish conquest or Cortez's conquest specifically very unique is the fact that he had a translator, but still the amount of violence and mutiny, I don't want to use the word mutiny, just gore that was going on throughout this entire conquest. I mean, even if you had a perfect translation, which wasn't the case, this amount of violence, I think, would have still happened as a part of it. I think an interesting thought experiment is that what if the Spaniards had spoken the local language? I mean, clearly, like he had demonstrated an ability to make contact and also make allies with these locals. I mean, whether or not they would become vassals of the Spanish Empire, uh, that's up to debate. But in terms of specifically would it have prevented something like the massacre of Cholula or would it have enabled communications regarding something like um, about the human sacrifice aspect of uh, Aztec culture as a part of this? Would it have enabled the Spaniards to have a more peaceful solution rather than a full conquest of uh, the Mexican area there? And I think also a part of this discussion is the fact that would Cortez have been willing to forego something besides a total conquest in order to say, well, I've made allies with these people in order to gain, regain favor with the crown, but would it be more favorable for us to just raise it to the ground and for it to claim us, for us to claim it as our own, which I think is also a major part of this entire discussion. I think that what uh, you said is very interesting in that it reinforces the role of a Malinche in this conquest, right? This woman who uh, was relatively highborn, not very high, but relatively highborn, the Aztecs then sold to slavery and eventually became um, Cortez's mistress and translator. This uh, woman became 
incredibly important because she acted, especially once she learned Spanish as a bridge, as a bridge between uh, the allies of the Spanish and the Spanish themselves. The, what made this conquest so interesting is that it sort of was one of the very few times where the colonists actually allied with uh, the people there, right? The Iroquois were allied to one of the Europeans also and things like that, but in a war-like um, manner, so in such a way that they would practically ally with most people against the Aztecs, only massacring the Cholulans along the way. The fact that they simply just took all this land because they were able to ally with so many people made language a very important factor here because it allowed them to do this conquest do you think they would have succeeded in doing this conquest if they weren't able to talk to people and then they only had 500 men? I think that's something that maybe our listeners should think about at home. I think maybe send an email to our RSS feed and we'll go through our opinions on the next episode. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of the History Harbingers podcast, and we'll see you in the next episode.